right. I am your reader this morning, all right? So uh, I'm going to let you stay seated. Our passage for today is out of Exodus, which is always fun, chapter 20, verse 17, and it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right, that's the word of the Lord this morning to us. So I wanted to begin this morning by just taking a little survey, because I think it's going to help put uh, orient us well. Excuse me. Just by a raise of hands, okay? So you don't have to shout or say anything in particular, but just raise your hand. If you're nervous about raising your hand, you can just do it right here, all right? Who got presents for Christmas? Raise your hand. See, pretty much everybody. Who got some presents they wanted, that they actually wanted for Christmas? Some of you, most of us, everybody. Okay. Uh, who, got pre- who got the presents they wanted for Christmas and now feel totally complete? Only Matt. He got, he got Jordans. That was, he, that's what made him feel totally complete. Like, I mean, totally happy, truly happy, totally content, right? That, uh, that you just feel like a whole and complete person because of the things you got for Christmas, right? None of us, really, right? Today, we're concluding uh, a series of messages that I started all the way back in August, which is a long time ago. I haven't been preaching the Ten Commandments since August, but we've been sprinkling uh, our teaching on the Ten Commandments in between other series uh, over the last couple of months. And I figured since today is the last official Sunday of 2018 that we should finish the series before um, I just have one message hanging out there and we go like three years and then I do it and no one understands what I are doing. But today we're concluding this message series uh, with this uh, on the Ten Commandments on this idea of, of thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. So that's essentially what this, this commandment boils down to. You're not supposed to want things that belong to your neighbor. Now, the, the word covet in English is one that we don't often use very much. My son has never gone up to me when we were at Target and said, Dad, I really covet those Legos. It's never happened, though I, I wish he would. Uh, uh, to covet something is to yearn to possess, to yearn to possess. This is how Thanos felt about the Infinity Stones. Uh, this is how Gollum felt about the ring. This is how Wiley e. Coyote felt about the Roadrunner. It's a kind of deep-seated desire that feels more like a, feels more like a biological drive than it does like a simple want. It really does. And, uh, it's when I see something I want, and I feel like I need it, like I have to have it, like my happiness depends on it. To covet is to put energy and effort behind wanting, right? It's not just a kind of passing, oh, a Tesla would be nice, right? It's, it's, it's rather putting energy and effort behind wanting, uh, some, uh, wanting something specifically that you do not have. And I think that this being the first Sunday after Christmas, this is kind of a fitting message, actually, because Christmas is a beautiful illustration of, we did it via our survey, of how poorly coveting works at actually making us happy, right? 
We just had Christmas. Many of us got many of the things that we wanted from our loved ones. And how many of us, after getting those presents, feel totally complete and satisfied, right? Able to rest easy for the rest of our lives, not wanting anything else, right? I got a reciprocate. I didn't get a reciprocating saw. I wish I got a reciprocating saw. But I got a reciprocating saw. Now I'm perfect. I don't need anything else for the rest of my lives, right? This, this is not how we think, is it? If your experience has been like my experience, this idea that getting things or receiving that thing that we covet, not making us happy, is pretty obvious, isn't it? We all know it. It's, it's common knowledge. It's normal wisdom that stuff doesn't make us happy. But we keep chasing. We keep tracking down. For some reason, that hollow feeling that we all experience after Christmas, the kind of dopamine drop-off that happens when we actually receive the present, I don't know about you, but when my kids open presents, they're not interested in the present they actually received. They just want the next present, right? And so they go, oh, great, a book, and they throw it, and they're like, are there any more presents? <laughs> Nora even goes, this is, <laughs> this is bad. I shouldn't tell these stories. She's going to get mad at me when she's 16. But uh, she will hug it and go, this is what I've always wanted, and then like throw it over her shoulder and go, are there any other presents? <laughs> I, think, I think we've trained her to say that. But we know this, right? We, we know that getting things doesn't make us happy, and yet we still run after them. We still covet them. We still have this belief at the core of our being, in a sense, that if we get the thing that I want, if, if I can actually go after the thing and I can get it, it can make me happy. Now, I'm not in the habit of quoting celebrities uh, but Jim Carrey once said, and I thought it was really apt, he said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer, right? You see, this idea is everywhere. It's not just in the Christian scriptures. It's kind of everywhere. It's common knowledge. But explicitly in the Bible, beginning all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, after God calls the, pe the people of Israel, or not really, yeah, the people of Israel, out of slavery in, e in Egypt, out from under the thumb of Pharaoh, as soon as he gets them alone long enough to talk to him, as soon as he gets them calmed down just enough that he can have a word, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the tenth and final commandment that he gives them is, don't covet your neighbor's property. Don't look at what your neighbor has and go, oh, if I only had that, right? I need that. It's simply, it's simply one of the quickest ways of acquiring a heart that is kind of misshapen and sick. This orientation of, of, or of a covetous heart is the opposite orientation uh, that God views, that, that views God as our all-sufficient source and significance. It's, it's opposite to that view. And so God says, don't covet things. Don't go after the stuff your neighbor has. And it's clear that God gives this commandment because it is something that people have always struggled with. <coughs> it's something they've always dealt with. But if you ask me honestly, if you asked me honestly about it, I think covetousness or this propensity to covet is the is one of, if not the greatest temptation in modern American society. I think it is. Um, and it's, it's a greater temptation than it has been at any point in human history leading up to this point. Now, I don't know everything about human history, but I have a smattering of a view, and I think it is. I really do. The 19th century Russian poet, uh, Fedor Dostoevsky, 
summed it up uh, when he wrote in a book called The Brothers Karamazov. I think he sums up our situation and our culture quite well. This is what he says. He says, the world says you have needs. Satisfy them. You have as much right and, uh, as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs. Indeed, expand your needs and demand more. This is the worldly doctrine of today. And they believe that this is freedom. The result uh, for the rich is isolation and suicide. For the poor, envy and murder. Pretty apt, I think, for the 21st century America. We are swimming in covetousness. We're swimming in it. I especially think it's interesting that, uh, that Dostoevsky says in this little quote that the ability to acquire, we believe, is freedom, right? But it actually leads to a kind of slavery. Have you ever heard the word purchasing power, right? We think it's freedom, don't we? We think the ability to have a little extra and buy what we need is actually a kind of freedom, but it tends not to be, right? That uh, There is just so much temptation along these lines in our culture today, isn't there? It goes so deep into who we are. Uh, the Western society as a whole is a consumer society. Our entire economy is propped up on this proposition. And so we have all of these opportunities to allow our hearts to go in that direction. It's not just that we can kind of peer over the fence and look in our neighbor's garage and go, oh, I would like that snowblower, right? It's not just that. It's that we have all kinds of, uh, of covetous-making technology, right? That we have all kinds of stuff that lead us in these ways. Have you ever turned on the TV and seen a commercial, right? A co this is just FYI, this is what commercials are intending to do to you. That's their whole point, right? Or have you ever watched a reality t TV show and wanted someone else's life? That's the whole point of a reality TV show is wanting something that's not yours, right? Have you ever opened a magazine? Have you ever watched Fixer Upper? I'll move right past that one. My mother and my mother-in-law will both get really mad at me if I, if I make Fixer Upper a negative example in my sermon. Uh, the reality is, is that there's this deep desire in our hearts for what we think is more and better. And we live in a culture that, that uh, benefits from that, that idea that drive within our hearts being perpetuated. And so we live in, a, in, we live in a culture that always wants to perpetuate that. And so we have in our culture what is called functional obsolescence, right? So the things that I have now are going to go bad at about a year and I have to buy more stuff, right? This is functionally, the, the, the only example of this is the iPhone, right? I had an iPhone 6S and in three weeks its battery stopped working, right? And I had to get an iPhone 7. I just had to. It, was, it wasn't an option for me. Uh, so I thought. <laughs> so I tell myself. But this is just how we function, right? My car is junk. doesn't have leather seats. I don't know. My house is not nice enough. It, it, it would only be nice if it was bigger. And then I could fill my, my house with more junk that deep down in my heart I know it isn't going to make me happy, Right? My husband or my wife doesn't make me happy. 
they don't meet my needs the way I see that other spouse meeting that other person's need. My kids aren't like their kids, right? Their kids are smart, athletic, well-behaved spelling bee champions. And my kids are always sick <laughs> and smear pudding on the walls, right? This is, this is what we think. It's constant. It's constant. And it's a lie. And it's a lie. You know, the truth of the matter is, at the base of this reality, we covet, we want these things, because we believe something other than what I currently have is going to make me happy. That's just the baseline assumption, isn't it? It's just the baseline assumption. And yet God says to the people of Israel in the 10th commandment, this isn't actually how you were meant to function. This isn't how you were meant to work. This isn't actually the way I created the world to work. You were called to a higher reality, some other way of being that doesn't lead into this always wanting, always acquiring kind of snowball rolling down the hill situation. This wasn't what you were created for. And we see glimmers of this throughout the scriptures. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 says this really interesting thing. He kind of he captures this idea. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, because he's just been asking for some money <clears throat> for the churches. Uh, he said, I'm not saying because I have need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to have need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, Paul seems to have discovered this reality that regardless of your circumstance, and that's not to say that we, we, we disavow the reality of our circumstance, right? If your circumstance is not great right now, you, you shouldn't just ignore that. But the re Paul says, regardless of my circumstance, I have this through-going reality, and that reality is that I can be content. I've had a lot, Paul says. I've had little. But there's some, there's some thread of the truth of who God is in Paul's life that allows him to be content in the midst of whatever circumstance he finds himself in. You see, it is not necessarily a lack of stuff or an abundance of stuff that is the problem here. So sometimes you can hear this message and you can hear a pastor saying like, don't want things at all, right? Just put on a burlap sack and get on with being a joyful person, right? That's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that Paul cultivated a kind of kingdom mindset, one that understands that regardless of his circumstances, wherever he finds himself, God is working his will in the world, right? And this is not a Zen Buddhist statement about just walk away from the material world and everything will be fine, right? That, that's not what I'm saying either. Christians are people who affirm the created order, right? We're, we're people who have a Genesis story that says God created the world and he created it good, right? And there are good things in this world and we are to cultivate goodness and bring good out of the world through meaningful work. This is something Christians have always thought that they were supposed to do. But we are not to place, the, place a kind of inordinate attachment on those things as if they were a kind of God to us, as if they were the, the, the wellspring of our happiness, they can be some, there can be things in this world that bring us joy. I have a bike. I love my bike, right? 
But I've, what I've realized is that I, only, I, I can only love my bike well if I'm not always looking for other bikes, right? Because there's always another bike. There's always another bike. But if I don't learn to appreciate my bike, I'm always just wanting other bikes. I can actually hate my bike if I just allow myself to want other bikes, right? This is how this impulse to covet works. <coughs> you know, if we believe, if we truly believe that things will make us happy, we will always be running after those things. We will always be coveting what we see other people have. And we live in a culture and in a world where there, that we will never run out of things to covet, right? And so you will never run out of things to be running after. And you will get tired, <laughs> I assure you. You will get tired. Or you will not have any more money, and then you won't be able to have anything. So this is, this is the situation we find ourselves in, isn't it? This is the situation. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Like I said, do we just take, um, do we all take oaths of poverty and just, you know, find a hole and climb in it and live out in the desert or whatever? Is that what we do? Do we just give in? Do we just, you know, do we just enter the rat race? And do we, do we, buy, do we just continue to buy and do those things and try to fill the void that li lives within our hearts and keep going? I don't think we do either of those things, actually. I think it's possible to, to cultivate a, a type of mindset, what I'd call a kingdom mindset, that allows one to live in the world in a way that values uh, what, what the created order, but yet doesn't look to that thing as our ultimate good. I think this is what Christians have always done. They've not seen the world as a necessarily evil thing that needs to be completely fleed. Rather, they've seen it as a good thing that God created that needs to be redeemed. And so they live in the world, in the material world, in a way that brings life, right? But yet they don't place their ultimate hope and substance on that place. They rather find uh, meaning that goes beyond just the created order. And so there are ways, I think, that we can covet, uh, combat covetousness. There are, there are ways we can work against that desire that resides in each and every one of our hearts to covet what we don't already have. And I have a few ideas, so I'm going to share them with you this morning. This is just a few practical ideas. Turn off media that leads you to covet. Turn it off. Uh, maybe it's People Magazine. Maybe it's the Instagram feed that makes you want uh, other people's lives. That happens a lot, right? Uh, have you guys ever heard of Toolstagram? I love Toolstagram. It's Instagram, only it's guys with tools. And uh, <laughs> I made up Toolstagram, by the way. Um, I'm going to trademark it, and then you have to give me all your money. Uh, Toolstagram is a thing that I, I show Ashley sometimes. But what Toolstagram is, is just these men who, who their, their job, mostly men, I'm sure there's some women, but I don't follow any of the women uh, who do Toolstagram. There's just these men who get tools sent to them from like DeWalt and Milwaukee and all the tool companies, and they just, they, on their Instagram feed, they just open the tools, and then they use the tools, and they review the tools, and then they have more tools. This is the whole thing. And I look at this, and I go, I... I watched, I look at Toolstagram and I go, I really need that router. I really need it. Do you guys, who knows what a router is? I legitimately have never used a router in my life. <laughs> but I'm convinced I need a router. 
I, Toolstagram has convinced me that I need a router, right? It, I'm, I know that I need it. It's not even a question. <laughs> I don't know what your Toolstagram is. I don't know what your Toolstagram is. It's something, right? It's, it's whatever Pinterest board you're cultivating right now in your head, right? That's what it is. Turn it off. Turn it off. At least for a period of time. Whatever Amazon wish list you've been cultivating for years, right? Don't, don't look at it for a little while. And turn, just turn away from that thing, right? That creates that desire in you that you know is unhealthy. That you, make, that you know makes you turn to things and want them as a source of happiness rather than to something that can truly uh, give you happiness, right? Right. So that's number one. Toolstagram is point number one. Point number two is cultivate gratitude for what you currently have. I've already said this about my bike. But see everything that you have now as a gift from God and be thankful for it. Gratitude is a key to joyfulness. And learning gratitude is what we're all supposed to do with what we've been given. You cannot be simultaneously be grateful for something and covet something. It's not possible. But rather, when you learn gratitude for the place you live and the car you drive and the clothes you wear and the food you eat and the spouse you have, when you learn gratitude for those things, there's a, 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 a depth will begin to occur there. And you might be saying to yourself, Nick, my car is horrible. My spouse is horrible. Right? Seriously. You will not be happier with another one. You won't. It's not possible. You will... <laughs> You cultivate gratitude in the moment, and then you learn to appreciate and be thankful, and you begin to, and that feeling of covetousness will be slowly be rooted out of your heart. It's just true. So that's point two. Third little hint here. <coughs> Excuse me. When we learn to follow the first commandment well, we're truly able to follow the tenth. I like this new screen. It makes those graphics look really nice. Anyways. Uh, when you learn to follow the first commandment well, you learn to follow the tenth. So the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, right? If you were with us in August. But Jesus actually sums up this commandment really, really well, I think, in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, he was asked what the, what the greatest commandment was, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment, Right? Jesus kind of reinterprets this, uh, the, the, com the commandments in the Old Testament and says, this is what it really means. It means, you shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me, actually means, love this God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, right? This is what Jesus says. You see, our hearts were never meant to find meaning and significance in the acquisition of things. And until we can learn to love Jesus and be loved by him, with a, which I think are both equally difficult and equally uh, the, the source of coveting things at times, we will always be in search of counterfeits. We'll always be in search of counterfeits. We will always uh, be learning to look at things to make us happy, to give our lives meaning and significance. We'll always be looking to something other than God. And... Uh, 
I can tell you a created thing is never going to do it. A created thing is never going to do it. The shop vac may be very nice, right? I'm talking a lot about tools. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the world I live in right now. The shop, mac, shop vac may be very nice, but it will let you down. Its filter will get clogged because you tried, because you tried to vacuum up the soot out of your fireplace, which it was not meant to do. And then you will go, I just wish I had a better shop vac, right? It will let you down. Created things will let you down. The new house may very well be better, right? It might be bigger. But it will not ultimately make you complete and happy. It's only as we learn to love God with the totality of our being that we can be free from these kind of inordinate desires. To be free from the impulse to covet is to be free in a real and true sense, just like Dostoevsky said. Purchasing power is not freedom. Acquiring is not freedom. Needing to buy that product that you saw on the commercial is not freedom. The ideal life that you daydream about, even if you achieved it, is not freedom. God has given you this life, the one you have right now, the life you have today. And yes, there are some things that could be better, right? We, all, we can all identify those things, and it's not bad to, to know those things. There are things in me that are broken that need to be fixed, right? We, there are things in, there is literally woodpecker holes in the side of my house that need to get corrected, right? It's not, I'm not saying ignore them. But the life you have today and right now is the vehicle that God wants to use to transform you. It is the only way it works. There is nothing out there that's going to do that. God wants you to live fully now, in this moment, with this stuff, in this situation. And he wants you to live in that moment, aware of his love and goodness, and he wants to change you in and through it. He doesn't want you to run to other things. The life you now live is the instrument that God will use to turn you into the person that he's always created you to be. So learn to love God in the here and now. And know that your sufficiency and joy are not to be found in things, but rather our sufficiency and joy, we're, we're meant to learn those things as we find our lives hidden with God in Christ. This is what sufficiency and joy looks like. Contentment and gratitude are available to you in the here and now. They really are. You know, your purpose won't be found in the acquisition of more things or chasing after the things of the world. Your purpose, my purpose, will be found as we live kingdom lives together under the lordship of Jesus. This is where we find our purpose. Becoming through this life the people, the people that God created us to be. This is what it means. And it's actually a beautiful vision. It's actually beautiful. To walk through this life not needing things, not even needing, not necessarily needing people that God hasn't brought into our lives, but rather finding our sufficiency, our hope, our joy in the person of Jesus and in his kingdom mission in the world. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. To walk through this life 
not needing a Tesla. It's, it's a horrible thing to need a Tesla and not be able to get one, right? <laughs> it's horrible. Who wants to live that type of life? Right? But you don't need one. And even, if you, and even if you can't afford one, this is the good news of the day. Even if you can't afford a Tesla, you don't really need it, right? You don't need anything. You and I, like Paul, can say, whether I'm in want or whether, I'm, whether I have plenty, whether I'm being beaten or whether I'm, whether I'm in perfect health, I have everything that I need because I serve an all-sufficient God. This is the key to not live a covetous life. And the last thing I want to say today is that a community of people, a community of people that actually live this way, that live in a way that where they, they don't have inordinate attachment to things, that they're, they're so free, in fact, that they can give other stuff away, that's a radical thing in our culture. That is a, that is a thoroughly countercultural posture. To not, be a, to not be inordinately attached to things and stuff and acquisition. To not always be wanting what we don't have, but to rather rest secure with what we do have in thankfulness and gratitude and joy. That is a countercultural thing. Because you all go to work, right? You know that that's not the default setting in our world. And a church that looks like that, a community that carries that reality with them wherever they go, that can set the world on fire. That can. That type of community looks different in the exact type of way that Jesus wants his people to look different. It really does. So think on that as you go home and you try to find spots for all the stuff that you got at Christmas <laughs> that doesn't make you happy, right? I'm literally going to go home and chuck a Christmas tree out my front door and then try to throw half of my kids' toys away. <laughs> no, that's not true. We give them away. <coughs> this is what I'm going to try to do because they won't make you happy. They won't make me happy. And they won't make us the people that God's created us to be. So as we go today, I just want to pray for you because this is a, one of those universal messages. It's just one of those messages where you heard something probably in this message where you're like, yep, that's mine, right? That's the thing that I want. We all have it. There's none of us who don't. And God wants to bring you out of that place and into a new one. And so I want to pray today that as we go, God would do that for each and every one of us, that he would stop making me look at bike stuff, right? That's basically, this is the whole point of this message, that I wouldn't look at bike stuff so much. But let's pray, shall we? Father, we love you. And we ask, God, that you would search our hearts here in this place today. You know those areas, God, those things that we want in a way that isn't healthy, God. You know what that is. You know the ways that we want other people's success or other people's family or other people's house or other people's cars or other people's sermon graphics, whatever it is. You know it, God. And we ask that you would help, uh, help to root that out of our hearts today. That you, would, that you would help us access joy and gratitude as we walk into this next season of our lives, God. And that you would help us to find uh, the joy that comes from knowing and serving you. 
from knowing the love of God that is so for us right now in this moment, regardless of how much we have or don't have, that it all kind of melts away. The love of God that is so on our side in this very moment that though we might have barely have two pennies to rub together in our pocket, we still have the very love of the creator of the universe shining down on us in a way that we are so rarely cognizant of. And so in this moment, God, would you make us cognizant of that? Would you help us see it and feel it? And would you help us walk into this new year, not wanting to acquire things, not goals uh, set only to make us feel better about ourselves, but rather as people devoted to kingdom priorities, learning to, learning to love and be loved in return. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. All right. Thank you for being at church today. Go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ.